0: This is episode 105 of Quadrants of Mental Health, part one. Moving on with your guest, Lee Nelms, and your host, AJ. Let's dive right on in to this exciting interview. Okay. Welcome to Quadrants of Mental Health. This is your host, AJ, coming to you today with another installment. Um, We try to deal with mental health issues, stay in the mental health field, um, we believe in mind, body, spirit, and finances as far as self-care is concerned and teaching children values and standards. That is a part of our philosophy. I am the host of this program, also the owner of Quadrants Family Services in which we do parent coaching, mentoring, adolescent skill building, visitation, and co-parenting. I have as my guest today, Ms. Mrs. Lee Naums. Want to get that right? She's a mother of two, one turning 18, and the other daughter is? 16. 16 years old Just now. Just turned. Yes, she's a GAL in the Richmond, Metro Richmond area. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, the court system, being involved in the court system and having a GAL, the benefits of having a GAL and disadvantages of having a GAL. Um, in the future, we're going to talk to CPS people, social services, case managers. So we want to include everybody that you may have to deal with when you are dealing with the court system. So with that being said, Lee is a, a, an attorney. I said GL, but she is an attorney. She has over 30 cases as a GL in addition to her regular load, caseload as well. So she is very busy. And I want to thank you, Lee, for taking the time out today to be with us and talk to us today.
1: Thank you, AJ. It's my pleasure to be here. I appreciate it.
0: So my first question is, what is a GAL? What does that mean and, and what is the role of the GAL?
1: Well, GAL is a short acronym for Guardian Ad Litem. And what the Ad Litem part means is that you are serving as a guardian of the child for the purpose of the litigation. So it's a very limited role. Um People may get confused by the term guardian, but our role as guardians at Lightham is to represent the best interests of the child or children before the courts. So
0: Okay. So how did you get started doing that?
1: Well, when I first started practicing law uh, back in 1999, um, having an interest in family law and juvenile law, uh, became certified as a guardian ad litem. Um, There's a course that is now required. I I don't think back back in the day when I started it was required, but it is now a requirement for everyone who wants to certify to become a guardian ad litem to take the required, um, six hour continuing legal education course. Um, and that course describes, um, the requirements uh, and the role of the guardian ad litem, um, and gives some, some case studies and so on and so forth. So back then having an interest, um, I, I became certified as a guardian ad litem and, um, I've been involved in that role since then.
0: Great. Um, so What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a guardian item? I'm I'm looking at it from the parenting perspective as well because you say you are representing the child, so what's the advantage and disadvantage of that?
1: Well, I mean, the advantage is um, that we as the attorneys provide an extra layer or a layer of um, investigation. We are able to go in and speak to anyone who's involved in the care and custody of the child, um, including teachers, um, health professionals, uh, medical professionals, and what we do. Our role is important because we are the eyes and ears of the court. So we go out and conduct investigations. Um, we speak with the child or children. We speak with the parents, and we report back to the court. So it's really important in that it gives the court and the judge um, a, a really good, window into what the situation is with respect to the child what's going on in the child's life um, information that the judge would not may not otherwise uh, been Been able to um, have obtained especially if parties are not represented by council because as you know when a council is representing one side they're going to present their side in the Mm -hmm. most beneficial light so there may be information that may not otherwise come out so Mm -hmm. um and our role is very very important in that we have to represent the best interests of that child so okay um,
0: now that's interesting too because i've worked with casa before i know you're familiar with casa yes and to me, it sounds like very similar roles. So what's the difference um, or dividing line between a CASA worker and a guardian ad litem? Because I've been on cases in which they had both.
1: Yes, and oftentimes that is the case, uh, particularly in uh, foster care cases. We see that in a lot with um, d- uh, Department of Social Service cases. So CASA, um, CASA workers are volunteers. Um, They are given a very limited number of cases. I think it's typically one a month um, Mm -hmm. or one until the case concludes. But their role is very similar in that they are permitted to go in and speak to the child. They are another... Layer of investigation, so to speak. So, Mm -hmm. we work often in conjunction with CASA workers. Um, We share information. They also prepare reports, which they share with us. So, they basically supplement our Mm -hmm. role. They may be a little bit more limited. Um, They have limited um, ability to recommend to courts, but they do in their reports, you know, make suggestions and and make um, some recommendations. But we often work um, in conjunction with each other in those types of cases. Okay. So, they are very beneficial as well. Yeah.
0: So, the recommendation of the guardian at litem would probably have a little more weight than a recommendation of the CASA worker because of the scope and the legalities of it. Right. Typically, well. in my
1: experience, mm. and um, CASA workers are volunteers. They can come from any any background. Um, we, we, we meet people from all all disciplines. Um, guardian, guardians at litem are required to be attorneys, at least in the state of Virginia. I oh, understand okay. that may not be the case in all states, but in Virginia, we are attorneys as well.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So, okay. So, if um, I heard you say earlier, and, and I did reiterate that fact that you have over thirty cases, and I've I've met Guardian Lightens with as many as seventy cases. How do you? How are you able to pay close attention to each individual case or each? Because when I say case, but that that case represents a child. Yes. And that child could be anywhere from zero to eighteen. Correct. Yes. And, and you've had some at zero yes. or eight months or 10 months in which you were coming in and working with the families. So how were you able to pay the attention or give the attention to each individual case when you have so many?
1: Well, and, and that can be a challenge. Um, and I think it comes down to organization and scheduling. When I, when I receive a case appointment, what I like to do is initially meet with the parents at the courthouse, um, as much as time permits, Get the contact information and typically what i like to do is schedule a home visit that day or at least get it on the calendar that day for some point in the near future um, and just you know um, schedule case constant case review um, noting your calendar your appointment dates um, your court appearance dates um, and getting everything organized and scheduled as quickly as possible in order to better manage the caseload because it can it can become overwhelming um, yeah and unfortunately sometimes in certain situations, not speaking for myself, but yeah. um, sometimes it's not always done the way it needs to be, unfortunately.
0: Exactly, because you know, I know you guys if you take this uh course to become a garden lighter then there are requirements that you have to meet. Correct. But you know, I'm playing devil's advocate here, I, I've known quite a few who don't do all of that work.
1: Right, and you know, the other thing, I, know, th- I think it's incumbent upon the guardian ad litem to, if your caseload is unmanageable and you find it, and you find that you can't do what you're required to do, then it may be better to just pass on a case and ask for maybe. Ask right, especially if it's if it's a, if
0: it's a um, case that that's a lot of pieces to it. Yes. Some of the cases of relativity simple. You got a mother and a father, but if you have other relatives, if you have hostile intent, you know, if it's going to require more. Now, you said something that I did not know as a guardian at litem. What's that? And you, you're going to be surprised when you see I did not know that guardian at litems are supposed to do home visits absolutely i've never known one to do one
1: absolutely that's that's um set forth in the standards and the rules the the most important thing is to meet with the child of course if a child is an infant what
0: age um do you meet with the child
1: well i meet. i i like to even even with an infant um, when i do a home visit i like to
0: put eyes on See the, child. the child as well okay, okay. um would you it, talk to a 12 year old
1: absolutely absolutely we are in fact we I'm, are. i'm learning
0: a, today because i i don't you know you i may need to get your card because most guardian items i know they've never done home visits and some of them have never talked to the client before
1: well they're in and therein lies the problem so and, i'm, and I'm scratching
0: my head i said how can you go in and represent correct And you're saying these are the things that you're supposed to do.
1: Absolutely. In fact. On
0: every case. Yes. Are there certain situations where I don't need to meet with that child or don't need to talk to both parents?
1: I've not come across that situation. Um, uh, Sometimes in a case, there may be a parent who may be incarcerated, in which case the judge will appoint a separate guardian ad litem for that incarcerated parent. Uh Um, So what I will do is consult with that parent's guardian ad litem. So in that case, of course, I wouldn't meet with the parent. But... Um the rules of the Supreme Court rule 8.6 of the rules of the Supreme Court of Virginia set forth the duties and responsibilities of guardians ad litem and the first thing on that list is to meet face to face and interview the child. So the child. Yes, and of course that's got to be done in an age appropriate fashion. You right. wouldn't speak to a 15 year old the same way you would speak to maybe a 7 year old or a 2 year
0: old. But what about what about and, and I'm I'm blown away by this. I'm so glad you're here. Because I've been um, dealing with Henry Michael Court since 2009, yeah, roughly 2009, and and period of time, yeah. And you've been a lawyer for over 20 years, yes. And this is the first I've heard that a guardian ad litem is supposed to talk to the client or or have put eyes on the client and talk to both parents, because usually I've seen guardian ad litem almost like they pick sides. Yes. If they believe that mom is right, they don't even talk to the father or if they believe father is right, they don't talk to the mother. They don't even do a home. I've had a garden at light up now and I'm not trying to throw shade. Right. Never talk to the mother at all.
1: Wow. That's a problem. That's a serious problem. And you're saying
0: that they, they are supposed to talk to both.
1: Yes. I mean, and, and as, as every lawyer knows from practicing law, there's always two sides to a story. Yes. So you can't conduct a complete investigation unless you hear from both parents and anyone else who may be involved well, in the child's life. I'm going to,
0: I'm, I'm going to, I'm shooting myself in the foot at the same time too, because this is what they said. They rely on the reports from the professionals.
1: Well, I mean, and, and there may be instances where there are no reports from professionals. I've been involved yeah. in plenty of cases that are custody and visitation, yeah. and there's no report from a professional. So you yeah. can't, you can't rely on that. There's no substitute, in my opinion, um, and in my practice for meeting with both parents whenever able to um, meeting with the child. Um, I always try to speak to grandparents if they're involved. Yes. Um, teachers. um, if there's an issue with a counselor if there's counseling involved then I, I always reach out to the counselor but our role is to conduct a very thorough investigation a comprehensive investigation that's the only way that you can really represent the best interest of the child before the courts
0: that's interesting yep. and um now, now i will use uh i will say that you know there's a uh, uh, dr nelson She's in the Richmond area, um, forensic psychologist. Yes, I know you're familiar with that term. Um, a lot of times, her reports are oh, what that that's what they use. I'm talking about the Garden Lightning. Was I've I've dealt with. Them. Not saying all because I don't know all of them, but whatever she writes, that's what they base their opinion and case on. And if if you are of of a different opinion, then it's like, okay, she's the professional, you know? And I understand that, that role, the responsibility she has. But here's me coming from the mental health part of it, okay? And I don't understand this at all. You have a father whose mother died. Wife left him and took his two kids. Father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Now all of this happened within a two-week window. Can you say stressed out dad? Would uh, you say that?
1: I would, I would think that would be an understatement.
0: Okay. So he goes to see, for lack of a better person, I'm not saying he saw her, but this is the only one that comes to mind right now. He goes to see Dr. Nelson. She writes a report. Right. So now, six months later, a year later. I meet this dad. I read the report and I meet the dad. Is he the same person when he's able to have some distance and time, maybe some counseling? But there's no updated report. So he's crucified in the courts based on that one report. And guess who's who's leading the charge? The garden at Lionel. Not once did. I say, how much time have you spent with Dad? Six months later, right? Met with Dad and the children. You know that's 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 been my experience. So uh, you're telling me something that they need to meet with them. How often would you meet with a, a parent, or or should you meet with the parents? Because a lot of times we may wait until. Court is on Friday, so I'm going to see them Wednesday and Thursday.
1: Right. That's that's really not – you really can't be an effective advocate for a child under those circumstances when you meet with someone the day before because there may be a, a, a wall of information that you're unaware of, and if you come across a piece of information that you need to investigate um, or an aspect of the case, there's just not enough time to do that. In cases that are ongoing, and when I say ongoing, sometimes a year, sometimes two years, mm-hmm. I meet with – Regularly and speak with the parents on a regular basis. You have to do that because over time circumstances change. Um, people deal with real life situations and, you know, sometimes yeah. it's, you know, yeah. things may may unfold over time in a case. Yeah.
0: Um, now, dad, throughout that process I talked about, he was spinning. Mm-hmm. But his objective was to save his marriage. Mm hmm. Mom put a restraining order on him, which he ignored because he was trying to save his marriage. Right. So that further proved his level of dysfunction. Right. Right? To the courts. Right. But for me now, you know, I'm looking at understanding and compassion. I understand you want your family back. Your mother just died. We get it. But you need to get good at taking care of yourself. Let's let's focus on you right now. He didn't get that type of therapy. He was judged. Right? Mm-hmm. So now he has supervised visits with his kids.
1: And, and, you know, sometimes under those circumstances. For three years. Wow. He
0: did supervised visitation. So if you can't pay, you can't see your sons.
1: Well, and, and sometimes... Um, unfortunately it it helps to have an advocate for your, to represent your side of the case. Yes. Um, And not, not everyone has the resources I know to hire their own attorney. Right. Um, In those situations, it can be very difficult. Right. Um, I I would say in my role as the guardian, I would look at everything, Mm -hmm. um, continue to speak with both parents. Um, Of course, you know, evaluations are done with a, a, within a certain parameter and they serve a a purpose. um, And that's in a very, very important purpose, of course, um, but in my role as guardian ad litem, again, under the standards, I have to look at everything, the big picture. So I yeah. think that's where it is beneficial, perhaps, to have a guardian ad litem in a case. Um, and interestingly enough, the, the statute, when each party is represented by counsel, that the judge is not required to appoint a guardian ad litem. Right. Um, so it's not mandatory in, in, under all circumstances. Um, but well, sometimes
0: you, CASA can get involved in those cases or not. Right. He's not I've, required.
1: I've, I've seen CASA appointed, at least in my experience, um, primarily in um, social service cases, yes. uh, foster care cases. Yes. I've never seen a CASA appointed in a civil custody civil. matter. Oh, okay. Not to say that, okay. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's been done, but yeah. um, not in my experience. But yes, um, they are appointed under as well under certain circumstances that's interesting yeah.
0: i'm i'm so. i'm sitting here being blown away you know and, and and i'm hosting you know i've been doing this for a while and i'm thinking oh i know what the garden Lightham does and you're giving me information that i don't have so how do how do parents challenge the system somewhat let's say i'm the parent that just found this information out about my guardian how can i bring this to their attention or to the court's attention that these th- steps are not being followed or things are not being done?
1: So, I mean, the, the um, a parent or anyone involved in the case um, can certainly raise that as an issue. Um, what courts have gone to recently, I believe Chesterfield's been doing it for maybe several months now, uh, maybe a year, and I think Rich- Richmond just went to this, is they have... Um, each guardian ad litem certify that they have met the requirements of Rule 8.6 of the rules of the Supreme Court. Um, so the form actually says, did you meet face-to-face with the child? If so, when? We have to write down the dates, how long we met with the child, and we have to answer a series of questions to make sure that we've complied with um, our duties and responsibilities. So, And if that those duties and responsibilities aren't met, and someone feels um, aggrieved by that, that That hasn't been done they're certainly free to bring that to the court's attention
0: okay now you're saying that rule says meet with the child correct that rule doesn't say i have to meet with the parents and the child well let's say let's say dad is he's somewhat he wants custody but he's having visitation he has to pay for the visitation mom is pretty much in in dad's mind holding the cards right? Shouldn't the guardian item meet with dad when he has visitation? Or uh, you're saying it just needs to be with the child?
1: No. I, and, and the second part of that, uh, item B, under the uh, rules and responsibilities, or the duties and responsibilities, is to conduct an independent investigation, which is a very broad, Yes, um, which incorporates, in my mind, meeting with both parents. I like to meet with a parent w- when the child is independent there.
0: Independent investigation.
1: Yes. Um, so that encompasses meeting with Anyone who's involved in the case. Um, what I do like to do is meet with the child if the child is of a certain age independently yes. of both parents, and then like to observe the child with each parent, especially if one parent's petitioning for visitation. Isn't
0: that um, helpful to do that though for absolutely. you when you go into court? Absolutely. You would think, but I, I'm I'm blown away because I've never seen that done.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very important role, and unfortunately, I think some lawyers, not all, I know a lot of wonderful guardians let them They yes. do a very good job yeah um unfortunately i think some people or some attorneys may look at it as kind of the side thing and maybe not take it seriously mm-hmm. which and is it, unfortunate because and i will
0: say to being overwhelmed yes because if you have 70 80 cases yes. you know it's like you will the hot ones will get your attention the most. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. And,
1: and in law it's easy to become overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, lawyers are extremely busy. Um, and it's, I always tell people, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, I give my car, they have access to my, my mobile number, which is primarily the number I use for my, when I'm out, I'm out on the road a lot, but um, yes. so it's, it's, I always tell people don't hesitate to reach out to me as well.
0: Now, what jurisdiction are you primarily guarding at light in? Because I know we, you know, I call this the Metro Richmond area. Yes, R- Metro Richmond, Virginia area. So that would that could be Richmond, Henrico, Chesterfield, Hanover, um, Henrico. You know, I just said Richmond, Henrico. It could be um, Chester, yes. Colonial Heights. Or, when I say metro area, is huge. It's so huge. are you guardian ad litem in all of those areas or one specific jurisdiction?
1: So interestingly enough, when we become certified by the state of Virginia, we are certified to serve as guardian ad litem in any jurisdiction okay. in the state of Virginia. That said, we limit, we have to fill out a form to say, okay, which jurisdictions do you want to limit your practice in? And typically, well, last time I filled out the form, I think it was three or four. Um, I, I primarily focus on um, Richmond City mm-hmm. and I stay pretty busy with that. So I, I, you know, in order for me to be an effective advocate and to do my job, I limit that jurisdiction. Um, that's not to say that if a case gets transferred to another county that I won't take those other counties. Oh, okay. Um, okay, But, you know, okay. it involves, I'll tell you, it involves um, a lot of driving and, um, you know, you really have to be realistic about how much time you have when you're, when you're spreading yourself out among three or four counties, it may be impossible to really do what you need to do effectively. Yeah. Um, you know, traveling yeah. from maybe the northern part of Hanover to somewhere out in the southern part of Chesterfield may not be. When if you, you have, have
0: court when, on the same day.
1: Right. Or when you're juggling cases. A morning, one right. a morning
0: case and an evening case. You right. Know. So it may not be feasible
1: yeah. really too. But yeah. I, I personally limit mine to... Um, chesterfield henrico and richmond but i'm primarily in richmond city
0: okay okay and understand uh recently you got a new judge in richmond
1: uh lambert yes, yes. judge lambert uh, yes. Bryce uh, he lambert. used to
0: be a guardian at lightham in yes. henrico yes yeah that's how i met him okay you know so to hear he's a judge there is also in fact i'm yes. going to try to get him on here oh that would be yeah, wonderful that yeah, would be wonderful uh, i'm looking i'm going to reach out to him and see if we can get him to be a guest on you. I think his experience as a guardian item and transitioning to judge is going to be, absolutely, you know, interesting and a learning experience for everybody. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show to kind of demystify the, the attorney role or guardian item role, because people fear what they don't know and don't understand.
1: Yes, exactly. You know,
0: and, and talking about this with you, I'm learning something. So I'm, I'm sure somebody else is learning something too. This that's, is, I'm sure, you know, amazing to me. Um, and what I'm learning is, we really need to do our due diligence as parents, and become more of an advocate for our children. Yes. Especially, I would say, the disenfranchised parent. If you feel as though you're not being heard by the guardian item, then you need to have it call them and schedule and have a conversation with them. Absolutely. And, you know, and and hopefully they will talk to you.
1: Yes. And you know, interestingly enough, too, I've, I've learned and and I think it helps to have a really a good understanding of people and um psychology and yes. so on and so forth but a lot of times when people are upset they really just need to be heard that's all so if you sit down with them and you give them time yes if it takes an hour or 2 hours I've spent easily 2 hours with people who are very upset by mm-hmm. what has unfolded and I like to get the history of what's happened in a case right and a lot of times people feel much better once you've had the opportunity to sit down and they've had a chance to just to vent. Exactly. And yeah. they, they feel better once they've had better. And they'll even they, they say,
0: I like you. That's because you listened. Right. And, and you know, and, and you didn't is, do anything else, but just listen, just right. be in here. Tell me more what's going on. How do you feel about that? You know, it's, right. it's truly amazing. You can't learn you until can, you listen. You can learn. Yeah. Right. From right. a person. But, um, so as, as a parent, if you are listening, this is, I will say, this is something you want to put in your toolbox. Um, find out what the responsibility, I would even schedule an interview with the garden at litem, and say, "What, what is your job? What is your role? And how do I fit into that? And you know? I, I
1: always explain that to people because I think there can be a misunderstanding. What I, what I always tell people is, I don't represent your, your ex-wife or your ex-partner. Mm-hmm. I don't represent you. My job is to represent the best interests of the child. And... More importantly, that best interest representation may be or may not be what the child wants. Yes. Um, It may be or not be what the parents want.
0: Uh, Right. Well, let me ask you this objectively. Do you think that a case that's been open for over two years, I mean, you know, you schedule something every three months, every six months, so we're not in court every month, case been open for two years or more, um, 45 minutes with a parent within a 2 year period is enough to say i know this person i know what this case is about
1: i mean as a guardian
0: 45. item, do you think 45 minutes with a parent
1: in my opinion no that wouldn't that wouldn't be enough okay um, not over a 2 year period okay. i mean a, a case of that magnitude requires multiple visits Yeah. Um, and oftentimes in those types of cases i'm in touch with people on a very regular basis
0: how how would i let's say that's me I'm the parent that saw this guardian item. She wouldn't. Even, he wouldn't return my phone calls. How do I get that guardian item to sit down with me? What 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 can I do? Now I know you. You would call me and say, AJ, we'll schedule a meeting and meet. But what if there's a guardian item who won't meet, or did not never did have that conversation with me? This is my job. This is my role. I'm here if you want to share some information with me. Call me. We can meet. What if the guardian item never had that conversation? But they're going into in the court and speaking like they know what's in the best interest of the child.
1: Well, um, I mean, that's, I don't mean that's, to put you on the spot. No, I mean, that's how can I communicate of, to I've them? I've heard of that happening. I mean, you know, what the parent can do is uh, call, contact, reach out, leave voicemails. I mean, it's incumbent upon the attorney to return the phone call, of course, but. I mean, if there's an issue with that and they don't feel like the investigation's been done um, and there's information that needs to be shared, then, I mean, under certain circumstances, the, the parent or, or custodian is can ask the court for a different guardian ad litem. Or the um,
0: non-custodial parent. I'm talking right. about the non-custodial. Or
1: non-custodial. I mean, I, yes. I haven't seen that done often, but that's yeah. not to say that it never happens.
0: Um, I was, I'm on a case now. Um, can't mention names or anything, but the guardian ad litem was admonished by the judge not to, to be biased and to talk to both parties. Right. And we, we went out of court and still has not reached out to mom at all. Wow. Haven't scheduled any time with mom, refused to talk to mom. And it's almost like, and it's just my opinion, dad has an attorney, the child has an attorney, but the guardian ad litem, and dad has two attorneys. Right. That's what it feels like when right. you go into court. Dad really has two attorneys, and Mom has one right. right. but you know, if, according to what you're sharing with me today, they really should be remain objective and talk to both parent parties and spend time with both parties with the child,
1: absolutely. I mean, of course, you there know? are going to be situations where the facts favor one parent over the next, and the guardian will make a recommendation. Yes that clearly is in favor of one parent. But isn't that
0: fair when you when you spend the time and you can really say, these are the things I've observed with mom, right. these are the things I've observed with dad, because of this here, what I've seen, what I've heard or what I've read, I can make this recommendation, right. but they just won't do that. Won't if, do that.
1: Right, right, you can't do that if you haven't met and, and done a thorough yes. investigation. So. Okay,
0: so we're gonna close out, because right. we do two segments. Um, This is part one of the Guardian at Lighten with Lee Nams. And I want to thank you for listening and participating and thank Lee for being here. Well, thank I want to, you. I want to continue this conversation. Okay.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate right. the, uh, the opportunity to be here.
0: Great. So we're going to close out and, uh, we'll be right back with part two. That was the end of part one for this episode. So continue listening to the final chapter of this fantastic interview. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Quadrant Studios One to stay connected to our growth in the Richmond area and beyond.